Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. I came to Christ Fellowship about 25 years ago, probably at one of the lowest times of our lives. And uh, Jamie kind of saw me and got, you're a mess. And he kind of <laughs> cleaned me up and, and uh, there you go. So he did mention the book. So I'll just, I guess I'll give a shameless uh, spot for it. Uh, it's called Finding Fathers. It's kind of cool on the title. Uh, this is a picture of me and one of my grandsons and uh, just kind of had it silhouetted out, kind of showing that father should be there, but you don't see it, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, you can get it on Amazon. And if everybody in here buys a book, I'll be like 233,000 on the list for bestsellers. So hey, that'll work. (laughs) Awesome. So uh, now you might notice I'm wearing purple. Uh, If you know me at all, I'm usually wearing green and gold. Uh, But uh, yeah, Uh, but I am... uh, I grew up as a TCU fan. Uh, my dad was actually part of the Frog Club uh, back in the day. And uh, then my, all three of my daughters went to Baylor and all three son-in-laws went to Baylor. So they said, dad, you're gonna have to change allegiance. I'm sorry. So anyway, so TCU is my second favorite team. So there you go. So, uh, oh, what? I know, I know. So anyway, uh, now I'll tell you a little bit, just real quickly about the about the book. There, there's the, uh, the format I laid out for this book. Uh, my heart is fatherlessness in our nation, and uh, the way I set it up, almost like a GPS on your phone. So the the first section of the book is kind of where we are. Uh, so it's going through a lot of statistics that can be a little depressing if you let it. Uh, just about where we are with the lack of fathers in our nation. Uh, the second section though is the destination. And uh, in this section, uh, I talk about what it could be if we had fathers in our home. And one of the things I love most about it is not so much what I say about fathers, but what other fathers say about fathers. I interviewed uh, seven fathers that I thought were incredible fathers that I know personally. Uh, and they, what the, here was the criteria. They needed to love Jesus they were great fathers, and they had highly successful adult children. So I didn't want to interview a dad with a six-year-old and say, hey, how did you do it? Because we don't know how they're going to turn out yet, right? So, uh, uh, so anyway, but one of the reasons I'm pushing a plug for this book is Jamie Miller is one of the seven that I interviewed for the book. So your pastor's in there. Uh, I refer to these fathers as the Elite Eight. Uh, seven of them I interviewed, and the eighth one is my own father. Because most people, when they're talking about fathers and fatherlessness, uh, most authors or most speakers that talk about it are men or women that did not have dads or had an abusive father. And I am coming from a different perspective of my dad was amazing. He was my best friend, my hero. Uh, He was abused growing up. He was, he was a tenant farmer in West Texas. He lived in a barn with a dirt floor. And uh, his father died when he was five, and his, his stepfather abused him every day the rest of his childhood. And, uh, and he said when he left home, he promised God if he ever was fortunate enough to have kids, he was going to be the best dad on the planet. And he was. 
So those of you that may be thinking, I didn't have a dad like you had, Mark, so I don't have any chance, that's a lie from hell. Because God can, is a God of grace and mercy. And I know as we get in and start talking about fathers, uh, I do know this, that this can be a pretty emotional topic. Uh, so I just want to say at the outset, grace for all of us. I thought about preaching a sermon on all the mistakes I made as a dad. And then I thought, like, we don't need to be here till three. So, you know, so I figured to come up with another plan. But, uh, but just understand that the principles we're going to talk about today, guys, uh, are across the board. This could, these could be used for fathers. It could be used for single moms, which I think single moms, you have the hardest job on the planet Earth. I'm just saying. And these same principles hold true there. I think the principles would even hold true in discipling others and being a spiritual mother or father. So, so as we go into it, first of all, what I want to do is uh, show you a family photo here. Just, uh, this is our clan. We just took this picture. Aren't they good looking? Good night. Uh, yeah. Now, now, you see in the middle there, though, the, the youngest, his name is Finn, and uh, the bald-headed one, we lovingly refer to him as Boss Baby. <laughs> you can get it, but uh, he's awesome. And there's a picture of him I took over in El Paso just a couple weeks ago. I put a Santa hat on him, and he grinned, and I got that picture. So there you go. Uh, so anyway, so let's pray. Let's get into this. Lord Jesus, we just ask you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy. Uh, Lord, we just come against the enemy who would try to uh, come in with accusations or guilt or shame today. Uh, Lord, none of us are perfect. We've all made mistakes. But Lord, we just are so grateful for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came and you showed us the Father. Lord, you even said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So, so Lord, we, we just humbly come to you this morning and ask you to speak life and hope and joy in your name. Amen. Amen. My dad abandoned us when I was a baby, and he ruined my life. Now, I heard that statement from an eighth grader in my class. I taught a speech class, and I told my kids, when you give a speech, have a, have a hook. Have an attention getter to grab the audience's attention, and, and that was her hook. And when she said that, honestly, I didn't remember anything else she said the rest of her speech because that one statement bothered me so much. So when class was over, I called her up to my desk and I said, hey, great hook. I loved what you said. First of all, I want to say this. I'm so sorry that your dad abandoned you when you were a baby. But that's not what bothered me. What bothered me is that you said it ruined your life. I said, that's only going to ruin your life if you allow it to. And I said, where's your father now? She said, well, he's in, Cal he's in California, and he's gotten remarried. He's got a whole new family out there. And I said, well, it doesn't sound like it's bothering him very much. I said, so how long are you going to live giving your father that much power over you? And I started speaking to her about forgiving her dad for her sake, you know, because she said he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. I said, well, I'm, I'm probably in line with you there, but it doesn't matter. You need to forgive him for you. And that started the journey of her slowly but surely coming around. And I, guys, and I will say this about fathers. I know a lot of you have been wounded by fathers. And sometimes there's a sense of you guys say, hey, I forgive my father, Lord, as much as I'm able to today. 
I may come back next week and forgive more, but right now, this, this is what I have. And uh, so I just, but I firmly believe this, that fatherlessness is the number one challenge facing our nation today. I think there's empirical evidence for that, and I also believe there's scriptural evidence for that. So to start off with, we're going to see a slide here, look at some of the empirical evidence. Children of absent fathers are five times more likely to commit suicide seven times more likely to drop out of school, seven times more likely to become teenage mothers, 24 times more likely to run away from home, 15, more, 15 times more likely to end up in prison as a teenager. Now, you look at those 24 times more likely to run away from home. I don't know if you realize this. I used to be on the board of a ministry in the area here that deals with human trafficking, uh, the city of Dallas is the number two city in the United States for human trafficking. And one of the stats that came out recently is that if a teenage girl runs away from home in Dallas, half of them are approached by a human trafficker within 48 hours. This is real, guys. And uh, I think our nation has spent millions and probably billions of dollars addressing symptoms of fatherlessness without ever addressing the root cause. And so that's why this is so passionate. That's why I actually, that's why I wrote, wrote this book. So we're going to start off. Now, the Old Testament had dozens of authors, and the, the Old Testament was written over a period of about a thousand years. Now, you think about it. If you have an eight, nine hundred page book that was written over a thousand year period by dozens of authors... What do you think the conclusion of that book's going to be? Do you think it's going to be powerful? I mean, I really do. I, I think the conclusion of that is going to tie it all together and say, hey, this is what it's about. So let's look at the conclusion of what we would call the Old Testament. It's in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And it says this, See, I will send you the prophet Isaiah, I mean Elijah, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And I was thinking about that, striking the land with a curse, and part of me wonders if that curse might not just be natural consequences. Because I believe a curse is on any land when there's a chasm between children and their fathers. Think about all the ills of our society. You know, drugs, alcohol, uh, you know, promiscuity, teenage pregnancy, running, all these stats we just showed you. How many of those may not be eliminated, but could be mitigated to a great deal if there was a loving father at home that really cared about their children? And so that's what we're going to get into. So the, so the main part, and I would say this, one of the truths that terrifies me the most as a dad is we know this to be true, that most of us view God the way we view our earthly father. And that one statement, guys, terrifies me as a dad. I never had to worry. I told you what a great dad I had. I never had to worry about whether or not I was loved 
And therefore, because my dad loved me the way he loved me, I never had to be convinced that God loved me. People would say, Mark, God loves you. I said, oh, I know. Isn't that cool? <laughs> right? I never had to question that because my dad always showed me that kind of love. And uh, so what we're going to talk about, here's the main point that we're going to talk about today. The greatest two gifts a father could give their children are roots and wings. It's a both and. Somebody said, hey, what's more important, the roots or the wings? And I'd say that's probably like asking me which wing of the airplane is more important, the right wing or the left wing, <laughs> right? You got to have both to fly. And uh, so we're going to talk about the roots. We're going to talk about the, the wings. Now, I will say this. There's only two specific verses in the New Testament that give instruction for fathers. Uh, but I would say this, guys. If you want more instruction on how to be a father or a mother, look at all the one another scriptures. Every one of those would apply to being a father, would apply to being a mother. And I'm just going to just read you one real quick. This is in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 14, through 14. It says, Therefore, is God's chosen people holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves... Okay, think about this as a parent. Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. And you know what bear in the Greek, you know what that word means, bear with each other? It means this. Maybe y'all can relate to this at home, right? Put up with each other. That's actually what he's saying. Like, just deal with it, right? So bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So, now Ephesians 6.4, going to the specifics here. Ephesians 6.4 says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So we're going to start off first talking about three ways that we can help create roots for our kids. To have that foundation that they are secure in who they are, they know their identity in Christ, and they're going to move forward with that comfort, with that understanding of having that, that strong foundation. And number one, the first way to help create roots for our kids, this is specifically for dads, is to love their mother. I think one of the greatest things a dad can do is continually show their kids how much he is in love with his wife. You know, because I want to tell you something. I knew pretty quickly I was going to have my kids for 18 years, and then they were going to leave. And guess what? We've been empty nesters now for, I'd say, about 10, 12 years. And somebody asked me one time, well, how have you adjusted to the empty nest? And I said, well, I think my wife's still working on it. I figured it out in about 48 hours. I was good, right? Uh, I love my girls, but yeah, that empty nest was sweet. Uh, but I will say this. I think it's important to show affection to your wife in front of your children. In fact, when they become teenagers, I think at least once a week, you should see your teenagers do this. Oh, would you stop, right? Just because I think it's important for them to see that their dad loves their mother. Because you think about that, if, if I know that to be true, I know my foundation is good. 
right? I know, I know there is security there. And because uh, how many times do you, have you seen families who have gone through divorce? And some of you are children of divorce. But how many times do children of divorce, very first thing they think when mom and dad divorce, it's my fault. It's my fault. Right? So don't be afraid to show your kids how much you love their mother. I believe by showing them you love their mother, you're teaching your sons how to treat their wife. And you're teaching your daughters how to be treated. I used to take my girls on daddy dates when they were about five or six, because I knew when they were 15 or 16, I didn't know anything. Okay, You know when your kids get to be teenagers, all of a sudden mom and dad are stupid? You know, they, they don't understand any life, right? So I figured I would teach them when they think I know everything. So I would take them on daddy dates, and I would, we'd go to a restaurant, and I'd open the doors for them, and I would talk to them about how to have a conversation with a boy on a date and all those things. And one of the things I'd always tell them, if you're nervous and it gets awkward and there's nothing to say and you can't think of how to keep the conversation going, just asking this, have you been working out? You know, that's a great, you know, so I just gave them some tips there. But uh, anyway... So second is to love your children. The second way to help create roots is to love your kids. And uh, I had a dear friend, mentor. He's a pastor up in Pennsylvania. His name's Scott McDermott. And uh, he came and spoke at a conference here in, in Fort Worth uh, area. About, uh, this was probably about 15, 20 years ago. And I, I came. I hadn't seen him in like seven or eight years. And I couldn't wait to see him again. He shows up. And... Uh, uh, it was not a good look, actually. Uh, Scott's pretty thin, uh, pretty, uh, I guess, complexion-wise, I would say pasty. And uh, I saw him, and he had a completely shaved head. And I saw him, and I went, oh, that does not look good, dude. Okay. I mean, shaved heads look good if you're built like, right? But, it, yeah, it just didn't look good. I'm like, oh. So uh, as he's preaching, though, I felt guilty about judging him on his appearance, because he told us that his 17-year-old daughter had Hodgkin's disease. And she was supposed to come and be there at the conference. And she had to go through chemo and was sick. So her and his wife, could not, they couldn't come with him. He said, uh, they are going to be here in a day or two uh, for the end of the conference, but they're not here yet. And No, they were there that day. Excuse me, they were there. So... But he said, his wife called him the day before they flew and said, Scott, all of her hair's fallen out. And uh, it's a good friend of mine. So Scott went to the closest barber shop and said, I want you to shave my head. And he shaved his head and put on a ball cap so he wouldn't be too embarrassed in public. And he went to pick up his daughter and his wife at the airport. And they got off the plane and and hugged him, and his daughter looked at him and said, Dad, did you get a haircut? And he went, ta-da, and shaved his head for her. And they both just started bawling right there at the airport. Now, now I believe his daughter's going to remember that moment the rest of her life. And when I say love your kids, dads, I want to I encourage you to find those times that you can, I mean, I, I know we all love our kids, but how are we demonstrating that love to our children? How are we demonstrating in a way that's going to have meaning? I used to ask my girls all the time, hey, you know I love you, don't you? And they say, yeah, Dad, I know. And I said, good, I'm doing my job. 
So as long as they knew I loved them, I felt like I was doing it right. All right. Now, the third way to, to help create roots is to observe traditions. I think in the, in, in the Jewish heritage, I think one of the most powerful parts of their culture was the Sabbath meal. Because every Friday night, as they began the Sabbath meal, the father would speak a blessing over their children. And uh, so I want, I want you to be thinking about what are some of those traditions, what are some of those rituals, if you were, that you could implement in your home that is going to have lasting impact? And I mean those things that when your kids are 40, they look back at their childhood and go, man, I loved it when we did this. I was a jock growing up. I played football, basketball, and baseball for 13 years. My dad never missed a game in 13 years. But he got home at 530 every day from work. He worked downtown Fort Worth, and at 5.30 every day, he would come through. And depending on what season it was, depended on what ball I had in my hand waiting at the front door. And so if it was baseball season, I would have both of our gloves and a baseball. And as soon as dad walked in the door, I would take his hand and start walking him to the back door. And as he's walking to the back door, he would take off his suit coat, take off his tie, and he would go out and we'd play catch for about 10 or 15 minutes. And, uh, and I know there were a lot of those days, guys, can I tell you, that my dad didn't want to do that with me? Probably more times than not, he didn't want to, but he did it every single day. And uh, I thought he was really worried about my arm. I was a pitcher. Sometimes we'd throw for five minutes. He'd go, Mark, let's stop. I don't want you to hurt your arm. I'm like, okay, Dad. And I, he just wanted to get out of there, right? But he, he didn't let me know that. But uh, so I love it. So, uh, so just be thinking about what are some things? What are some, say some holiday traditions, uh, movie night, uh, you know, just things like that. Bedtime, bedtime routines, having dinner together. In my class one time, I asked my kids, how many of you on a regular basis sit down and have a family dinner around the table at home? One of my classes, I had 27 kids one student out of 27 had dinner as a family at home. So I would, you know, just those that don't take for granted those little things that we can implement that can have a big difference in the end. Uh, in fact, one of, my, one of our bedtime routines, I, I would uh, tuck my kids in at night, I would pray over them, I would sing to them to get, help them get to sleep. And uh, one of the songs, to show you the power of this, one of the songs I used to sing them was a song by Tim Shepard, and uh, it was called Fiddler, and it described Jesus as a fiddler, and it talked about uh, you play your song all through the city, and no one seems to notice, no one seems to understand, and, and then at the, toward the end of the song, it says, now I seem to understand how you play the song, even with nail scars in your hand. And uh, just an incredible story about how Jesus is wooing us constantly. And it transitions at the end of the song into Jesus loves me. And at the very end of the song, he, he starts singing Jesus loves me. So fast forward about 25 years. My second daughter, Rama, she's the mother of boss baby I showed you earlier. Uh, I'm getting to do her wedding. And we're doing the wedding rehearsal. And I looked at Andrew, the piano player. And I said, hey, Andrew, and everybody was lined up at the rehearsal. And I said, so is, is Rama going to come down to the normal traditional wedding march? He goes, no, she picked a different song. Okay. 
if you knew my daughter, I'd like, oh, God, this is not good. Okay. We didn't, we didn't. I said, I need to know what it is. And he goes, oh, it's a surprise. And I'm like, no, no, no. I got, the, the bridesmaids are ready. We got to practice this. It can't be a surprise. He goes, oh, you'll find out in a minute. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I said, okay, bridesmaids, are y'all ready? And they're like, yes, sir. And I said, oh, Andrew, you're at the piano. Start the music, and bridesmaids, get ready to come down. And Andrew goes, fiddler, play your song all through the city. And we walked down the aisle to the song I sang her as a little girl. Now, Rama's a planner, and the way she planned this out... The transition when it transitions into Jesus loves me is when the doors open for us to come down the aisle. And so Raymond and I walked down the aisle to Jesus loves me. <laughs> of course, she's smiling. And I'm like, <laughs> I was a wreck, but uh, that's okay. That's okay. But don't, don't underestimate, guys, the power of those traditions. They really do. They matter. They matter, and they establish the roots. Now, let's talk about wings for a few minutes before we wrap up. Now, Colossians 3.21 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And guys, what that tells me is the weight of a father's words are powerful. Be very, very careful the words we use when we speak to our kids. Uh, I heard a statement, you know, we've all heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I heard another statement that said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words cause permanent damage. And I believe they do. So let's be careful about the words we, we say when we speak to them. Uh, now, how do we create wings? And guys, I will say, this is a little bit of soapbox of mine, because in the Christian community over the years, uh, I've seen a lot of families that are pretty good at that root part, right? But maybe lacking somewhat in the wings to fly when it's time to fly, yeah. right? So, uh, and I, I believe this, that uh, first and foremost, the first step in helping our kids have wings is be intentional be intentional and what I mean by that is have a plan do not be a reactive parent okay you know what I mean by reactive parent I hope my kids turn out okay that's not a good strategy guys okay all right if we're going to create wings we need to have a plan and we need to be specific in following that plan in order to create wings and uh I will tell you, Emily's sitting right here, and that's one of the reasons I wanted Jamie to do an interview with me for the book, is because I know that young lady right there. Yeah. You know, they establish wings in both of their kids, right? I mean, Matthew, the little brother, he makes more money than all of us. So, you know, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're just powerful, right? I mean, they're, they've, they've established that. Uh, now, I had, a, I had a mentor one time that told me this. I used to brag about being a visionary, and I would talk about all these visions I have, and, and uh, he just kind of rolled his eyes at me, and I said, so 
I said, what's the matter? And he goes, Mark, you know that vision without strategy is fantasy, don't you? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> so, but when he said it, what I realized, guys, is I was not a visionary. I was a dreamer. I had a lot of dreams. And you say, Mark, how's that going to happen? That would be amazing. I have no idea. But wouldn't it be cool, right? Okay, that's not how to parent, right? Parents, we need to establish a plan. We need to, we need to do things on purpose to help our kids. Uh, I used to tell my kids, hey, it's easier to keep your room clean than it is to get your room clean. Amen. Amen. There you go, right? See? So I said, if you keep it clean, you never have to spend much time cleaning. Isn't that interesting? Right? And one time, uh, uh, one time, Rama, she, her room was not always spotless. And uh, so one time I asked her to clean her room up and she had to study and she goes, oh, I can't right now. I'm busy. I said, don't worry, I'll do it. And I picked everything up off her floor and put it in a trash bag. I threw it over my, sat, my shoulder. I looked like Santa Claus. I started walking to the garage. And she said, are you throwing all my stuff away? I said, I don't know. I'm going to set it next to the cart that goes out on Monday when trash comes. If it's still there on Monday, it's going out. And guess what? I woke up the next morning, no trash bag. It was all put away, right? So again, have a plan there. It's better to keep it clean than get it clean. Okay, second way to help create wings. Listen to your children. They have a lot of fears. I mean, I am grateful that my kids are already grown in the society we live in today. But my grandkids aren't. So I pray for them every day. Right? I, I think the kids growing up in today's world are going to see things that my generation never even thought about. Right? But... I think it's important for us to listen to them. I asked my eighth graders in class one day, I said, how many of you have an adult in your life that you feel like you can go to anytime you have a problem and talk to them and they'll listen to you? Four of my six kids, no one raised their hand. And I believe this, guys, if we're not listening to our kids when they're five or six, they're not going to listen to you when they're 15 or 16. Take time to listen to them. We have an exercise in the training I do with teachers. One of the things we do is we teach them how to actively listen. And the homework we give them is to go home and actively listen for 10 minutes to someone in their family. One of the teachers, it wasn't me, of another trainer, but one of the teachers, she said that uh, she went home and tried to do it with her 12-year-old son, I mean 12-year-old daughter, and she said, so I tucked my 12-year-old daughter in. I sat at the foot of her bed and tried to do this active listening thing for 10 minutes. Five minutes into it, my 12-year-old daughter started crying. And I said, sweetheart, what is it? She said, mommy, are you dying? <laughs> it was so different from how she had ever listened to her daughter before. She said her daughter thought she was about to say, sweetheart, mommy's dying. Listening to your kids, guys, is one of the greatest gifts you could give them. Even if you don't even understand what they're saying. You know, it doesn't matter. Just be there, right? Listen to them. Uh, I know I'm picking on Rama. Rama's watching this in El Paso, I think, streaming, so she's probably going to get mad and give me a call later. But, uh, but Rama, you have all the best stories. Uh, so, 
Uh, but Shannon, y'all, a lot of you know Shannon. Uh, Shannon, uh, one of the problems I had as a dad growing up with girls is Shannon and Rama, they're about two years apart, but they happened to time it out where they went through puberty at the same time. <laughs> Scary place in my house. Uh, so Shannon would cry all the time, and Rama, she would turn into She-Hulk. Okay. <laughs> Okay, when the hormones hit, it was bad news. Everybody clear out. So, so she had this, she had this, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm going to get in so much trouble. Anyway, uh, but she had this uh, habit of slamming doors when she got really angry, and that was my pet peeve as a dad. So she slammed the door one day, and I'm like, I am not having that. I'm going to go deal with this. So I'll go in her room, open the door, and all I hear is her crying. And she's like, <laughs> and I can't find her. I'm like, I hear her cry, but where did she go? And I go in the closet, and I'm digging through stuff. Maybe she's hiding under clothes, and she's not in there. And then I'll, the only other place she could be, <coughs> excuse me, the only other place she could be is under the bed. So I look under the bed, and she's under the bed crying. And I grabbed her foot, and I start dragging her out. And I pulled her out of bed. And I know as a father, I need to listen to her, right? So we sit on the bed, and I said, sweetheart, what is it? And she said... No one knows what it's like to go through puberty when you're nine years old. <laughs> and in wisdom, I said, I'll get your mother. And then we laughed, right? So, yeah. So I listened, but then I knew I was outside my, my uh, field of influence. Okay. Uh, so listen to your kids. All right. Now, last, the third one. Whenever possible, let life be the teacher. Now, as educators, one of the things we see a lot, it's kind of a nickname we give parents sometimes, is helicopter parents. You know, they're the ones you have three conferences a week wondering why my kid didn't get 100 instead of a 97. That kind of thing, right? And you're like, oh, gosh, okay, great. Now, I think there's another parent that has entered into education world, and we lovingly refer to them as lawnmower parents, okay? And what I mean by that is it's not, ju it's not just... Uh, I don't, I, want my, I don't want my kids walking through tall grass. I'm going to mow the grass so even their pathway is, is simple. And we do everything within our power to eliminate obstacles, to eliminate challenges in life. And guys, that is a recipe for disaster. Y'all have heard of the parable of this prodigal son, correct? Everybody know that story? Do you think the father in that story, when his youngest son came and said, I want what's mine right now, Dad, just give it to me. And I'm going to go off and I'm going to find myself. Do you think that father went, that's a brilliant idea, son? I don't believe that. I think the father knew it was going to be a train wreck. But I also think he knew it was going to be a life lesson he'd never forget. And I believe that's why when the son came back, the father ran and embraced him. And it says when he embraced him, he put a ring on his finger and put a robe on him to tell him, this is who you are. This is who you are. You are my son. You are not my servant. Man, guys, if we do anything as fathers and mothers... Let's speak to our kids about identity, about who they are. Let's don't give them a list of don't do this, don't do this, you better not do this. How about this? No, no, no. This is what McKinney's do. McKinney's do this because that's who we are. 
We love one another. We forgive one another. We never, ever give up because that's who we are. Be intentional. Now, again, talking about those natural consequences and letting life be the teacher, I think it's also important that we allow our kids to learn how to hear God's voice. Shannon, one time when she was 13, she had a boy that was in love with her down the street. And he invited her to go with his mom to a PG-13 movie. And I think Shannon was 13. So I'm like, hmm, that's kind of borderline. And I'm like, not sure. I didn't want her to go. But I thought this could be a life lesson. So I I looked at Shannon and I said, Shannon, why don't you pray about it? And if God tells you it's okay to go to the movie, it's okay with me. And she went, don't make me do that. I mean, she just wanted to be told, right? So she prayed about it. She came back and she said, God told me it's okay to go to the movie. And I'm like, okay, right? And so she went and she came back after the movie. She walked in the door. I'm sorry, Dad, I shouldn't have gone. I'm like, that's okay. She learned, right? Because I knew it wasn't going to be earth-altering or anything. But she learned the difference between, think, you know, sometimes we say we hear God when we really just want to do what we want to do. And she learned that lesson when she was 13. Right? And her sisters to this day refer to her as the perfect one. And I'm like, well, I don't know, pretty close. Anyway. But, uh, but I would say this. In helping life be, life be the teacher, learn as a parent how to ask really good questions. Think about how many times Jesus was asked questions in the Gospels, and he was asked a question, and what did he do? He responded with what? Another question. Who's, who's insignia is on that coin? Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and give to God what's God's. Okay, learn how to be a really, really good question asker. Now, let me ask you this. Do we want to raise up, when thinking about your children, do we want to raise leaders or followers? Raise your hand if you want to raise leaders in your home. Only a 20. Okay, all right. Now, I know most of you raised your hand. Now, if we want to raise up followers, by all means, tell them what to do because they're going to have to learn to be good followers. But if we want to raise up leaders, ask them questions to get them thinking for themselves, to get them to process things, to get them to problem solve without you standing over them telling them what to do. See, because when they come up with the answer, it's theirs. If you just tell them what to do, then it's yours. And then when it doesn't work out right, guess what? I knew that wasn't going to happen. Dad's dumb. Right? But if I ask questions to get them to tell me what I would have told them, then they own it. Right? So learn how to ask good questions. Now, and I'm going to wrap, wrap this part up with this, and then we're going to close. When we do for our kids what they can and should do for themselves, we stifle their confidence. Guys, if you want your kids to grow in confidence, if they can do it and they should do it, let them do it. Don't do it for them. All right, now, in conclusion, I just want to say this. What do you think could happen if we truly gave our kids roots and wings? Not just how could it affect our families, 
but how could it affect our world? And how could it affect our king, God's kingdom? And I want to read in conclusion here Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. This is what Jesus read in Nazareth when he went, went home. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those in, who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, in a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now listen to what it says next. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now that was the assignment Jesus was given by the Father when he came. Now, I know we think about this passage is, in, is impacting the kingdom of God worldwide, and it is true. But what if we started in our homes? What if we preached good news to our kids and bound up the broken hearts of our children at home so they might leave our home one day and do the same for others and do the same for their kids. See, guys, this is a game changer. I believe that's why the last verse in the Old Testament, Malachi said, one day he's going to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Let's stand. If I could have the ministry team and worship team come up. Jim Valvano is a famous uh, basketball coach. And he had a quote that said this. My father gave me the greatest gift anyone could give another person. He believed in me. I just want to say I think that's one of the greatest gifts we could give our kids is to let them know we believe, on, we believe in them. We're there for them. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Lord, and we pray. I know, God, that uh, so many times this can be a trigger. This could be a, uh, uh, a difficult message when you're thinking about fathers. But, Lord, I pray by your mercy and your grace that you would be here, that your presence, Lord, would rest on us for those that, that may need healing from wounds of the past Lord we pray for that healing this morning for those that need to forgive we pray for grace Lord for those of us who are, who are fathers that, or mothers that may not have gotten it all right Lord because all of us are, fall short we thank you for the grace and we pray for the grace, Lord, to move forward 
and be the light of Jesus to our kids to give them Lord everything that you have for them we thank you Lord